0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Bar Fights. Thank you for spending your Mondays with me. It's been just an amazing summer of incredible people. And now that we're back in the swing of things in the fall, I want to bring you somebody that I've been crushing on for decades, literally been watching like with bated breath, all of these crazy trial commentary stuff. I'm going to introduce you to this lovely lady. Her name is Jane Velez Mitchell. And you probably already know her. You've probably seen her on TV. She's one of today's best known TV journalists and authors. And for six years, she hosted her own show on HLN, which is what I was always watching. Um, She's been seen all over commentating on high profile cases for CNN, True TV, E, and other national cable shows. She's also like if that's not enough she's a best-selling author and one of her books that I just adore is is a memoir and it's about addiction recovery which is a topic that comes up so much in the work that I do with survivors of sexual abuse or with survivors of any kind of adversity and the book is called I Want My Journey from Addiction and Overconsumption to a Simpler Honest Life. we're going to dive into that today. Um, Another one of her books, which is so cool, her fourth book, Exposed, The Secret Life of Jodi Arias. It was released in 2013 and debuted number five on the New York Times bestseller list. Jane, welcome to Bar Fights.
1: Hey, and uh, it's so great to be here now Just to avoid a bar fight, Sarah, I do want to tell you that what I'm doing today is I run a global streaming network for veganism, animal rights and climate change mitigation called Unchained TV. It's a streaming network. You can get it at UnchainedTV.com and just click watch now, or you can get it by downloading Unchained TV from your app store. It is 100% free. You can also watch it on your television via your Apple TV device, your Amazon Fire Stick, or your Roku device. And it's also available on LG and Samsung smart TVs. So that's really what I'm doing. I'm trying to create, and in the process of creating the CNN of veganism,
0: How cool is that? And I love that you're giving a voice to the voiceless, right? And and that's something that we talk a lot about on this show in terms of your animal advocacy. Um, It's such amazing stuff. So walk me through. You're running a network now. You've been all over um, doing all sorts of cool stuff. Your career is awesome. Walk me through kind of how you arrived here today. Well,
1: um, I grew up in Manhattan, went to NYU. My first job was in Fort Myers, Florida. And uh, many years ago, (laughs) we didn't even have live. I did the first live report for that station of my first job. And then I ended up in Minneapolis. Then I ended up in Philadelphia, where I understand you're at now. And then I ended up going back to my hometown and working at WCBS-TV as a reporter and a weekend anchor for eight years. Then I got a job offer in LA to be a weekday anchor, and that was fabulous. I was at the Paramount Studios lot, and it was it was really glory days. It was fun. <laughs> we had a good time. And uh, then I worked at a syndicated show called Celebrity Justice. Then I covered the Michael Jackson trial. I ended up reporting for Nancy Grace on her then HLN show every night as a reporter for Uh, the michael jackson trial then i got my own show on cnn headline news leading into nancy grace i had a show for six years which is a good run and then at that point i was exactly 59 and a half that show ran its course now i had done an animal rights segment every friday on my show for six years so i decided the time had come for me to do that passion full-time and i founded Uh, Jane Unchained, which was sort of a whimsical name we came up with, but now it's Unchained TV. And it started out just shooting with a little GoPro camera. In fact, my first story was uh, uh, covering a protest in nine degree weather outside the Staples Center in Brooklyn, where uh, people were protesting the use of wild animals at Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. And um, then we grew Facebook Live came along, suddenly we had people going live at protests, at veg fests, at vegan restaurants, at all sorts of animal rights events all around the world. We had 17 million views in two thousand in the the couple of years after uh Facebook Live started. And then as Facebook Live's algorithms changed over the years, and we all know about that, and you know, the, the issues with uh uh people using Facebook for uh, unsavory purposes and their algorithms changed. So we realized we need to pivot. We need to jump to a new platform. We did do a, a very successful vegan cooking show on Amazon Prime, along with a documentary about how we're really going to have to transition to plant-based by uh, the end of the decade, or we're going to go extinct as a human species called Countdown to Year Zero, also on Amazon Prime. And then Amazon Prime changed. They started uh, charging uh, ninety-nine cents per episode for our, for our videos. So we decided, okay, the time has come. Let's start our own vegan streaming network, and that's what I did. Unchained TV, the world's first global, basically CNN for veganism.
0: How cool is that? And you know, I talk a lot about that on this show having a passion for change or a passion for a better future, but actually being able to do something about it. And I get asked in my line of work all the time, what do I do? How do I help? And you've taken that passion and created something um, and created something truly (laughs) remarkable. What advice do you have for people with a passion um, for a cause to get involved and, and to be able to really leave an impact as you're doing?
1: Well, every day I wake up and I am just fueled and just pumped to get the word out. And I always say, uh, when you've saved one life, you've saved the world for that life. Unchained TV.
0: <laughs> Unchained TV. I love it. And it is, I love your analogy to, to, to uh, ch- uh, rescuing a child. It is the voiceless, right. And standing up, um, for those, you know, animals, children, people, humanity that, that do not, um, have, have the ability to do it for themselves. Um, that's amazing. And so your career has taken so many cool twists and turns, you know, you, you've done all these crazy, you mentioned the Michael Jackson trial, which, which I, I do not I'd want to talk about it, but I can't because my law firm um, has involvement in, in those cases. But let's let's talk about some of the coolest, craziest things you've seen um, before before we arrived here at Unchained tv different trials different people what are some of those things that are going to stand out when you look back on your oh my
1: gosh there's so many and you know uh my my memoir talks about my three miracles getting sober coming out as gay and going vegan and they they happen pretty much sort of in that order until i had clarity you know as a sober person i i didn't realize well wait a second my values are not aligning with my actions. I love animals. I consider myself a compassionate person. Why am I subsidizing the torture and killing of all these animals? Hurts the torture for the animals. It hurts the planet. And it's not good for my own health. So I went vegan. And then also, you know, without that glass of wine to drown those feelings, um, my uh, sexual orientation rose to the surface pretty quickly. And I uh, decided that, I was going to come out and I was one of the first journalists, uh, you know, on-camera journalists to come out. Um, And uh, so I call those my three miracles, you know, because that's about being comfortable in your own skin and being true to your identity, who you really are. And uh, so uh, you know what they say, and I think it's a really good cliche getting sober is getting off the merry-go-round and getting on the roller coaster. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's what my life has been. It's been a wild roller coaster ride. And uh, I've covered some of the biggest cases. Yes, Michael Jackson, also the Casey Anthony case. Oh, gosh. In Florida. And uh, the Jody Arias case, and some others in between, uh, quite a few. And uh, they're, each one is cr- crazy in their own way. Uh, I was right there at during the verdict on um, both of those cases, outside the courtroom where all the people were gathered in the giant square, you know, thinking, yeah. um, and uh, when Casey Anthony was acquitted, oh my gosh! But you know, I remember when the opening statements happened, and I'll never forget the uh, the prosecution's opening statement. Where's Kaylee? Yeah, For thirty days, right? Yeah, and everybody was like, "Brilliant, brilliant!" And I was like, you know. It really isn't necessarily brilliant, uh, because then Jose Baez came along and said, well, little Kaylee was dead from day one. She di- she drowned in the swimming pool. Remember? Pull the rug right out from under the prosecution's opening statement, because it was all about where's Kaylee, right? Yeah. So by answering the question in the first 30 seconds of his opening statement, yeah, it just kind of pull the rug out from under the prosecution, and they were very focused on her lying. So what was she convicted of ultimately? Lying. Yep. And, and so I've had a really interesting opportunity to see some of the very best attorneys at work. Tom Mesereau, uh, I thought, did a brilliant job at the Jackson case. I know you can't talk about it, but I always joke, and I'd say it to him when he was going into court, if I'm ever in trouble, well, actually was after the acquittal. <laughs> if I'm ever in trouble, I'm calling you Tom. Because I mean, he walked into that, it was an open and shut case according to the prosecution. Tom Snedden was basically celebrating before, before the trial even started. You know, hey, journalists spend a lot of money here in Santa Maria. And look what somebody who keeps their nose to the ground and just does the work and doesn't do any fanfare and then right? So I try to look at what I do. Um, You you asked me a question, what advice? Do the next right thing and stay out of the results.
0: (laughs) That is so cool. That is so cool. But all of that experience you got has built up to, what did you say? 59 years old, starting something totally brand new that maybe you never could have dreamed up when you were young and up and coming in this field, right?
1: Well, you know, it's kind of funny because I always wanted to be just a person giving my opinions, and because I was always protesting when I was a teenager, I was an animal activist even in high school, and uh, various protests about various things, you know, I grew up in that era of uh, giant, massive anti-war protests and all sorts of protests, and um Uh, I just was interviewed a couple of times on television. So when I applied for college, I just checked off broadcast journalism without really thinking about it. But then once I got into it, I always thought I want to be my own assignment editor. I'm tired of being assigned all these stories. I would always get into it, but I'm not a crime buff, for example. I mean, I want to avoid being a crime victim. But aside from that, I'm not somebody who sits there watching forensic files. I, I, I feel like That's not something I'm interested in. I'm interested in environmentalism. I'm interested in animal rescue. I'm interested in human health. Uh, So I've always said, I wish I could be my own assignment editor. And now I am.
0: Yeah, that is so cool. So when you found yourself in some of the biggest trials our nation's ever known, you were just at work, right? This wasn't like you had some great big passion for, you know, crime or prosecution or whatever.
1: Well, I mean, I wrote a couple of books about it. My first book, you know, people, publishers would call me up, how would you like to write a book? Okay. Okay. Cause you uh, were there. Yeah. And I said, okay, what's, what about, uh, write it about trials. And this one woman who was a great editor, she literally gave me like four instructions write a book about trials, talk about some of the trials you've covered. And remember, trials are venues where deep secrets, deep, dark secrets that people don't even tell their therapist or their spouse or their children or their lovers come out for the entire public to see and hear. Click. That was (laughs) it. So I went to dinner with my friends and I was like, "Uh, I got to write this book at a very short deadline. Very short. Like I had like three months. And basically what I did is this is back in the day when I actually kept paper files yeah. I looked at which are the biggest files that I have and I literally was like okay here are the files these are the ones I have the most research on so I don't have to research from the beginning okay 12 chapters Ba ba I have three months that means I have to do this each chapter by such and such give a couple of days for the rewrites because she was going to sometimes they look at, it at the end, but she was going to look at each chapter. So I got to add in. And then boom, I know exactly how many words I have to write per week, then exactly how many words I have to write per day. And that's how I did it. And then I went to dinner with my friends. I was like, I'm supposed to write this book about murder and secrets. And I thought, oh, secrets can be murder. And that was what we call the book. So oh, wow. yeah, so that was how I did it. And I do find crime interesting. I'm not a crime buff, but Given that I, this was some genre that I fell into, um, and and let's face it, local news is largely unfortunately about crime, and uh, then it just sort of escalated to uh, crime on a larger stage, but uh, it is a very fascinating psychological insight into human dysfunction, and what I've noticed is there's sort of very extreme examples of things that you might notice on a slightly smaller scale in your everyday life, like borderline personality disorder. You know, is there somebody in your life who comes bearing gifts all the time, but all of a sudden it's like, wait, okay, it's four o'clock, you know? Yeah. bye. Yeah, uh, And then they don't leave. And then suddenly you notice that your friends are their friends. And suddenly you notice that your habits are their habits. Okay. You're experiencing borderline. All yeah. right. But that's a mild case. An extreme example was the Jodi Arias trial, you know? So, and, and the prosecution did diagnose her as having borderline personality disorder. Uh, but um, I hadn't really thought about it till I was covering that trial. I was like, oh, so now I know what to watch out for. Yeah,
0: you know?
1: right. And so um, it's like that. You can learn from it. Um, and then I've also interviewed so many psychiatrists and psychologists covering these trials and I've gotten some little pearls of wisdom and one that somebody said to me really struck me and uh, she said human beings will take the worst the most traumatic experiences of their childhood and try to repeat them and reenact them not literally but metaphorically as adults quite often in sexual arenas And I thought, wow, that is heavy. (laughs) So that was a really interesting insight, right? Um, And so I've gotten so many interesting insights into human nature by covering these terrible crimes. But I don't enjoy, you know, I'm, as a vegan, we are against killing. We don't want to see anyone suffer. It's an entire philosophy based on compassion and reducing suffering eliminating suffering where possible so i don't get off on anybody suffering or having a horrible horrible crime committed on them and um i wish we didn't have the genre but as long as we have crime i guess we will yeah it's way back you know everybody likes to say crime is terrible you know dostoevsky crime and punishment Right. right basically a true crime novel in a way Right. Or Um, not a true crime novel, but a crime novel.
0: Crime novel. Yeah. And in in my work in child sex abuse, you know, you learn so much just about life when you're looking at the psychology of, let's say, a pedophile. Um, Similarly, but in different contexts, I've learned a lot about narcissism, a lot about borderline personality disorder, that kind of stuff. And you can bring that stuff into your work with dealing with anybody. It just helps you understand people better, right? And humanity. And like you said, compassion and empathy um, as well. So, and you know, know, I want to
1: say, I want to jump in. It's like having covered so many different animal stories over the years. And when kids who are deeply traumatized get to interact with an animal,
0: they
1: are healed in, in some way because the animal exhibits unconditional love. And that love just bathes over that child. And there is that kind of relaxation where I'm not dealing with somebody who's going to betray me. I don't have to keep my guard up. This being is just here to be with me and uh, they feel safe. And there are therapists who even work with specially trained dogs who come in and simple totally. kids yep. that gives them a sense of security. And uh, so, you know, animals are so magical. They're so intelligent, uh, whether it's pigs, whether it's cows. I also work with a former cattle rancher's wife turned vegan sanctuary owner and vegan wow. activist who she her husband had gotten back into the family business. And she was a country singer and she went out to practice her guitar where the cows were and she started really bonding with these cows and seeing how smart they were and how they would have one cow babysit for the calves when they went, when the mamas went off. And um, then she saw what she called the red trailer pull up because it was a calf cow operation. Oh, they breed the, the 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 cows and then take the babies away and how the mothers would race for a mile down the road, chasing after the red trailer grieving and screaming and how they mourned and how she would be in bed hearing the, the mourning, uh, moans of the cows and she said to her husband that red trailer will not come here and take those babies again and he said you know well i'll sell the herd and she started secret diary of a cattle rancher's wife and she raised the money and turned around and said okay you i'm buying your herd and she turned the entire cattle ranch into a vegan sanctuary and now her husband's vegan and they travel you know around preaching the word to other ranchers and farmers who also want out of this terrible industry yeah. and she gets calls all the time from let's say a cattle rancher's wife or daughter or son saying I just love this one cow please I don't want this cow to go to slaughter or I just don't want this one pig to go to slaughter and she takes some of them in but she says you know you have to face what you're doing
0: you can't yeah. just
1: save one animal you've got to realize that the others well, they're just like the cat you fell in love with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So interesting and something I am continuing to learn more and more about. Tell me quickly, I know we got to wrap up, but about your journey through addiction, I think it, in a way, as you're talking, it's all sort of interrelated, right? And you talked about sort of animals being healers. I see that in my work all the time with dogs, also with equine therapy, with horses, um you know in in abused dogs i adopted two abused dogs and just those were my Babies, Like I have two human babies now. Those dogs have like such a huge place. I'll cry when I even think about them. They've both since passed on, but, you know, the, them, their journey through adversity to my loving arms healed me, you know, and everybody said, oh, you gave them such a good life. And I'm going, they gave me my life back in a way with that love, um, you know, and how does it, how do you see addiction playing into this too? And sort of working through that, using that animal connection.
1: Yeah, well, yes. And uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I uh, always say that, you know, there's no cure. Once a pickle, never again a cucumber, as they say. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's, a, it's something you have to stay vigilant about. And um, I feel very blessed. And um, so many people suffer from addiction. I mean, you could almost make the argument that everybody's addicted to something. I wrote a book called Adignation which makes the case that we live in an addictogenic culture. We do. There is no better customer than an addict. Okay. So what is fast food? It is really horrifically unhealthy food packed with sugar, salt, and, and, um, uh, fat three substances. Humans are biologically pre-programmed to crave to get us through times of famine. So what's resulted now we have two thirds of Americans overweight or obese as a result of eating this horrible food that is also killing billions of animals. It's really how most people consume meat and dairy and it's primarily a vehicle for meat and dairy and um, it's killing them with heart disease. Um, The number one killer, aside from pandemics, which is also a zoonotic disease, so that also stems from animal abuse, whether you th- it, think it started at the Wuhan wet market, which is a retail slaughter market, uh, or you think it starts in the lab, which is less likely that they torture uh, bats in that lab. So either way, it was animal abuse that put us in the pandemic, but but the mainstream media doesn't make the connection. We're all being factory farmed, okay? It's not just the animals. We They are making us sick so they can sell us the pills and do the surgeries all right, there's very little focus on preventative medicine. And it does, you talk about psychological issues, it impacts psychology because our serotonin levels, which determine our mood to a large degree, are determined by our gut biome. And our gut biome is determined by what we eat. So if we're eating this horrific food um, filled with, um, my God, Do you know that more than 80% of antibiotics are fed to farmed animals because they're kept in such terrible conditions? They have to be fed, and also it fattens them up, Mm. okay? Uh, They have to be fed antibiotics. So antibiotic resistance is a huge crisis. Animal agriculture is a leading cause of climate change, Uh, right up there with fossil fuels. But they talk about fossil fuels, but they don't talk about uh, the methane that animals excrete and also the fact that a good percentage of the usable land on the planet has been destroyed for animal agriculture the amazon right now is being destroyed for 70 percent of the amazon is being destroyed for cattle grazing who's consuming that cattle americans Mm -hmm. so we sit around eating a steak going oh look at the amazon oh the brazil terrible for destroying the amazon but who's the consumer who's responsible so it's not just a personal choice okay people say, well, you know, it's a personal choice. Well, everything's a personal choice. Yeah. Shooting somebody is a personal choice. Driving the wrong way down the freeway is a personal choice. These personal choices are having huge repercussions. Climate change is just getting started. Already, UPS workers are fainting on the street. I read an article about it because it's so hot that they're trying to carry boxes. And I even see it with the, the mailman here. I mean... I look at them, I go, oh my God, how do you do this for eight hours a day? It's, it's hot as blazes. It's almost unlivable, but it's gonna become unlivable. Do you know in Kansas, and you didn't read this in the news because again, the news media run by the meat, dairy, and pharmaceutical industry, the US government has also been co-opted by the meat, dairy, and pharmaceutical industry. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is run by a dairy industry trade group leader. What else do you need to know?
0: I believe it. And you know what's so funny? I mean, first, I think people are catching on to this. I think it is something in the last few cycles where people are starting to try to say, actually, what the hell is actually going on? Um, But it's such a. A, a, a similar situation to the work I do, where you have these—the money makers, the U.S. Olympic Committee, USA Gymnastics, whatever—are the ones making the money, covering up <laughs> every single thing. Right? They're the ones who are making money off the backs of gold medalists, but they're also the ones covering up that that gold medalist is getting abused. It's it's that it's the it's about money, it's about um, power, it's about brand, it's about you know, reputation, but money mostly, right? Um, Yeah, Yeah. follow the
1: money, always follow the money. And so our consumer dollars are very powerful and we need to take the power back. Yeah. If I leave you with nothing else, every decision we make, especially how we spend our money is not just a personal decision. It's a political decision. It's an environmental decision. It's a moral decision. And so Americans consider themselves animal lovers. We love our dogs. We love our cats. We love our horses. But yet we are participating in the torture, the systemic torture of billions of animals who are just like our dogs and cats. In fact, pigs have a higher IQ. They're considered the fifth most intelligent animal. Yeah. Okay. And yet what we do to pigs, if you did it to a dog, you'd be arrested and put in jail. But then when uh, people go into these factory farms and videotape it, I'll leave you with this. If you want to think the system is skewed and you want the opportunity to rip open what I call the meat matrix and step outside and see the reality. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wayne Chung, the lawyer who was arrested for rescuing these pigs and the FBI went to animal sanctuaries looking for these pigs. Okay. Okay these piglets, the FBI, okay? Running around. It was in the New York Times. You can check. And uh, he videotaped, as I said, the entire entire alleged crime. Guess what? The judge is not allowing him to play the videotape of the crime. Usually prosecutors are thrilled when they get videotape of the crime. That's gold, right? No. The judge said, uh, we won't allow you to show video of the crime because we feel like jurors will become too emotional and make an emotional decision. Mm-hmm. Jesus,
0: Jesus. Well, I've got my whole my own set of issues with the FBI. So <laughs> uh,
1: I don't, I'm not attacking the FBI. I'm. I'm, not well, FBI. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that. We're yeah. our priorities, man. You this,
0: know, this is incredible food for thought. Jane, thank you so much for opening our eyes to these issues for your passion. Um, you guys unchainedtv.com. Jane, Velez, Mitchell, all of my days watching you on TV and loving you, everything I thought you'd be and more. Thank you for sharing this time with me. And I hope our paths will cross again.
1: Oh, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Sarah.